Thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. Welcome, everyone. Answer. Are you alive? Yeah, it is fine. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Why is he not talking? Everything coming. Sorry. <laughs> I see blood dripping from the ceiling. So I'm not going to get checked on him. Okay. That is pretty quick. That is interesting. <laughs> anyway. Yep. That's all the podcast, dude. So, McCabe, you can cut it at this point here and uh, start it <laughs> yeah. right around here. Hey everyone! Hi Ben. So Yo. today we're going to be uh, continuing on our uh, WDJD series, What Did Jesus Do? Um, so where we're continuing looking at, you know, instead of just what would Jesus do in any given situation, to see what he has done in the situation so we know how to, you know, copy him, you know, replicate what he did here. Um, today we're going to be looking at how Jesus spoke life. Does somebody want to turn to page one? Page Page one. Oh. Genesis 1 1. Somebody want to read the first eight verses? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was the morning. Cool. So what's going on here? The world being created. The world being created. How how is it being created? God speaking. God speaking and it happens. Who was there? God. God. James. Anyone else? Jesus. Jesus. Holy Spirit. How do you know? Says what? Says in John one, and it says in um, Genesis one twenty six. It says, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, twenty six. Then God said, "Let us." Make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and yeah. over the livestock, and over the Yep, exactly, perfect. Yes. Yeah, we, we see the Trinity, if you keep looking, you know, we didn't read that just now, but, um, and if you keep reading, you know, all of Genesis 1, we'll see the same pattern over and over of God speaking something, then it comes into creation, you know, and he says it's good, 
and then it's the end of that day. And then he, he speaks something, it comes into creation, he says it's good, that's the end of that day, so on and so forth, until he gets to mankind, where he says, you know, he speaks it, and, you know, with mankind, he says it's very good. But otherwise, we see the same pattern. He speaks, and life is created. He speaks, and there's daylight, and there's nighttime. He speaks, and there's the earth and the sea. He speaks, and there's plants. He speaks, and there's, you know, animals and birds and all this stuff. He speaks, and life exists. So just keeping that in mind as we're talking about what we're talking about today, speaking life. I mean, this is the very beginning. This is the beginning of the beginning. Um, but all it takes is the very words off of, you know, Jesus' mouth, out, out of God's mouth, the very breath that he speaks creates life. Alright, so now we can turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to be at verse uh, 46. We're going to read this story here. Most or all of us, we've probably all heard this story before, but I'm going to challenge you all to try to forget what you know about this story and go into it as though it's the first time. So drop what you think already, you know, what you know happens. Um, because it, it takes away some of the suspense or the surprise or the anticipation. Just like, you know, you watched a movie and over and over again that you've seen before, you know what's going to happen. It's not going to surprise you when, you know, this person does something at the end. Like, you're not going to be on the edge of your seat and be like, what's going to happen? I already know what's going to happen. Like, this person does this and this person wins. So, go into this as though you haven't read it before. Um, which, it'll be hard, but... Um, just keep an open mind to maybe there's stuff here that we haven't seen before. Um, maybe we can start at 43. Um, first we were not as relevant, but for the sake of having that whole section. Um, does anybody want to read that whole section or read half and then pass it? Um, from 43 down to 54. Anyone want to start? Oh, first half. Alright, go for it. After two days he left there for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet was no honor in his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival. For they also had gone to the festival. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, or my, <clears throat> or my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. And he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. 
and himself believed and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Awesome. So, can someone paraphrase what just happened here? An official comes up to Jesus and says, um, Hey, my son is dying. And he says, Okay. Um, he says, Go. And, uh, and your son will live. And then the son recovers at the exact time that Jesus says, Go and your son will live. What, how did the, how did this nobleman, this official, how did he approach Jesus? Or what, what did he want from Jesus to do? He wanted him to go and heal his son. Mm -hmm. He wanted Jesus to come with him and to heal his son there. But instead, what did Jesus do? He just spoke. He just spoke. Mm -hmm. And it was so. So, it doesn't say the distance here, but to have a little bit of context, from where this man came from, uh, coming from, uh, where did he come from? Uh, Capernaum. Yeah, it came all the way to Canaan from Capernaum. So that is an 18-mile walk or journey. So this man, his son is dying. He's an official. He's a royal official. His son is dying in Capernaum, 18 miles away from where he's going to find Jesus in Cana. And in a final attempt to save his son's life. So the royal official finds Jesus, asks him to go back with him and heal his son. 48 is pretty interesting. Jesus asked, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Why do you think Jesus would rebuke people for wanting Jesus to perform miraculous signs and wonders? Because he didn't want the people that were following him to just believe in the things he was doing. He wanted them to believe in him, not just be like, hey... Here's this cool thing I do. Believe in me because I do it. Jesus saying, no, I want you just to love and follow me for just who I am. Not just for the things I do or the things I make you feel or praise me for me. Follow me for me. Don't. Because most of the time they kind of, after a while, kind of left him and he only got left with 12. So. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, he was rebuking those who depended on signs and wonders before they would believe. It, it seemed as though Jesus was a little harsh toward this man, maybe, depending on how you look at it. We wanted his son healed. But he encountered, Jesus encountered many people in Galilee who were interested only in his miracles. So therefore, he questioned this man kind of in the same way. Will you only believe in me if you see miraculous signs and wonders? Is this when you talked about last mm -hmm. week about praying? With, um, like, praying with intent that it's already been completed? Like when you pray, like, I don't know, I hope tomorrow's job interview goes good. Don't pray thinking it's not already done. Think it's already done. Pray for it. And then, I think that's kind of the same situation that's going on. He's like, believe it now. That's when I say it. That's it's already done. Which it was. But the father didn't know that until he made it there. And they said, hey, yesterday at this time, 
your, your sons came. So yeah. And the the signs and wonders aren't bad. They're they're good things. Uh, they can they can lead a person toward belief in God, and they can also validate a heavenly message or messenger. Um, but they can also have no effect on the person. In the same way, you know, Satan can use lying signs and wonders, right? We even, you know, it, it speaks of the, the second coming. You can see later on in Second Thessalonians um, about, you know, the man who will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit powers and signs and miracles. So the enemy has powers to do certain things also, and so could logicians and, and other people who, you know, could have certain powers to do things. Signs and wonders from God are obviously a good thing, but they shouldn't be the foundation of your faith. We shouldn't depend on them to prove God to us. In themselves, the signs and wonders can't change the heart. Israel saw incredible signs at Mount Sinai. They even heard the voice of God. We see those things in Exodus. But then right after that, you see them worshiping gold calves and worshiping other idols and other gods again. And they would repeatedly see miracle after miracle and have manna from heaven. They'd be thirsty and rotten water would come out of a rock. They'd be hungry and bread coming from the sky and, and birds just literally falling out of the sky. And then they'd eat and they'd say, praise God. And then the next day they'd be back to worshiping their previous idols. So the, one, the signs and wonders, the miracles in itself, isn't enough to change your heart. And if, if your foundation is of your faith is on seeing signs and miracles and wonders from God, it's not going to be good enough for you. It's kind of like, I don't know, tangentially, I feel like it relates to when, like, I would go to a church and I'd be like, man, I didn't really, I wasn't super into the worship. And then it's like, oh, that's my fault. Because <laughs> it has nothing to do with the music that's happening or what anybody else is doing. It's about my attitude and do I have an attitude of worship because that's what am, am I worshiping like the music that they're playing or am I worshiping God right and um, that kind of you see people chase it a lot right they chase the, the concert or they chase um, the, the signs and wonders the revivals for lack of a better yeah. term and they go around looking for those things and not growing in any depth. Um, and signs and wonders are great, but you need the depth there. Yeah, for sure. I always think it's funny when people say that, like, oh, yeah, I didn't really care for the worship today. It's like, oh, I didn't know people were worshiping you. Like, the worship wasn't before you. It's like the worship has nothing to do with you. Like, right. the, the God is the one being worshipped. God could maybe say, oh, I didn't enjoy the worship because, like, your heart wasn't in it. But like for us to like be at church or be somewhere, be like, you know, I just I wasn't feeling the worship today. Uh, I worship didn't really resonate with me today. I didn't really like worship today. It's like you're not the one the worship was for. We're presenting our worship to God. That when our attitude is, I didn't like the worship. Maybe your your heart wasn't in a, a worship position that day. And it took me a long time to come to that realization. Mm -hmm. So it's not like absolutely it's, yeah, yeah. It, and it's still sometimes it hits where it's just like. Eh, I'm not really feeling it. They go through the motions and whatever. Absolutely. And you have to remember it's not about you. For sure. And it's great to come out of, you know, a time of worship, like feeling connection and feeling closeness with God. But there are times where, you know, sometimes you're singing, sometimes you're praising, and you're, you know, you just need to tell yourself to believe it sometimes, honestly. And sometimes you're just, you know, going through the motions. You're not, 
you know, you're in whatever situation, and you know you're you're singing praise to God, but when you're not feeling it, you know, like you just keep praising it because it's worth it, even as long as you're actually meaning it. Are you going to Matthew eight anytime soon? Um, not necessarily. No. No. So, uh, all the talk about uh, what Jesus speaks reminds me of the story with the Roman centurion mm-hmm. um, and how Jesus assumed when the Roman centurion came to him that, oh, so you want me to come and heal your servant? Well, no, the Roman centurion just said, no, speak it into existence by your authority, it will be done. Yeah. So just having that attitude, knowing that. Yeah. That's a very. That's an interesting correlation of, or contrast between the two. Both are, you know, Gentiles who are coming to Jesus for healing. This one here is saying, come with me, Jesus, and heal my son. And the Roman centurion in another story says, you don't need to come with me. Just speak the word and it'll be so. My son will be healed. Um, and he's like, I've never seen faith like this among like anyone. Like, okay, like we'll, we'll be healed. Um, but we see very different situations going on here. We're here. It's almost as though Jesus is uh, like rebuking them for, for wanting to see the miraculous sign. Well, but in verse 49, a lot of mm-hmm. the translations that I've seen, he's not saying, he's not saying, do, you, do I need to do this to make you believe? It's not a question, it's just a statement like, I have to do this, otherwise you're not going to believe. Mm-hmm. Like, that he's explaining why he's doing it. But then for the centurion, he says, like, it's for your faith, and like you already have the faith, so you have to be rewarded. Um, so you kind of see like opposite inward ways than on those yeah. two situations. Yeah, that's true. Well, and he made a very similar statement uh, with a girl who was ill for many years, mm-hmm. touching his cloak, reaching out in faith. Mm-hmm. In, in verse forty-nine, uh, we see. The, you know, the man isn't discouraged from asking for a miracle. But again, yeah, like what, what you were just saying was uh, this, this request shows that the, the nobleman probably understood that Jesus didn't intend to discourage him for asking for a miraculous help, but only to discourage a faith that seeks you know, a foundation of miraculous. So the nobleman didn't appeal to Jesus on the basis of his noble status, saying, oh, but I'm this great, I'm I'm, you know, an official, I'm at the highest, you know, position. He didn't say that. He didn't even talk about the, the, you know, the basis of how great his son's need was. You know, I mean, well, he did say, come now before my little boy dies. But he's not saying, you need to stop everything you're doing because this is the most pressing matter. But he came to Jesus as, uh, sorry, coming to Jesus as a great and important man wouldn't even have gained him anything before Jesus because Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't have a respect for you know levels of authority. He cares for a homeless person just as much as he would care for you know the pharaoh, the king, like same level of respect because they're all just people. So verse fifty. Then Jesus told him, "Go back home. Your son will live." And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. Jesus severely tested the man's faith here. 
forcing him to believe him and believe in his word alone and not in any outward demonstration of the miraculous. Despite the test, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. The nobleman demonstrated that true faith is simply taking Jesus at his word. The nobleman, the nobleman believed it before the evidence. So, at what time was this boy healed? At what, at what point in time did Jesus say that? Go back home, your son will live. The seventh hour, or one o'clock, is my own translation. Um, basically the same thing. One, one o'clock. His fever suddenly disappeared. So, what happened? Remember, forget what you know, just based off of what we just read. When did the man leave and start going back home? Not that one p.m. That's what you assume. What you assume? Because it says, you know, point down. So Jesus says, unless you see signs, why did you want to leave? The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, and your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. He went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. He said, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. When? My father knew that that was the, the seventh hour. No, before yesterday, that. Yesterday, yesterday, the seventh hour. Yesterday, yeah, the seventh hour. He said it was almost 20 miles between the two places. Yeah, about 18 miles. So we're on a whole other day now. Yeah. I mean, <coughs> so maybe 10 miles a day, maybe 10 miles in a day, meet up in the middle. So if we follow the timeline, if we think about, okay, the, the point at which, you know, average walking time is about a 20 minute mile. 20 minutes to walk 18 miles, it's about six hours. This guy got to Jesus, you know, give or take a little bit, right? You know, maybe he's maybe he's rushing there, maybe it was less time. Maybe he took some breaks, maybe it was a little more time. Give or take, about six hours, plus or minus a few hours maybe, right? So this man left early in the morning to go at least six hour walk to find Jesus. You know, maybe it took him a little bit of time to find exactly where he was at in, in, in Cana. So, right, so he left at, you know, 1 p.m. to go back six hours. What time were we at? 7 a.m.? I think about yeah. 7 a.m. So maybe he left, let's just call it Monday. Maybe he left around 6, 7 a.m. on Monday morning, traveled, walked 18 miles, and he gets to Jesus. And right around 1 p.m., the seventh hour, he comes to him and says, Lord, please come before my little boy dies. And he says, go back home, your son will live. So the man leaves. Maybe it's 102, 105, right? Somewhere around there now. Right around 1 o'clock when Jesus said your son will live. But then, okay, so another six hours. Could make it home around 7 o'clock. But instead, he chills out. He stops rushing, finds a place to sleep, because then he starts going on the next day. Because then we're in yesterday. Because then in verse fifty-two it says, you know, as he's you know on his way home, the servant tells him, you know, what happened that he's healed, and he asked him when it happened. Well, yesterday, at one o'clock, the fever suddenly disappeared. 
That was yesterday. When the guy heard the news, he's like, when did that happen? Oh, yesterday at 1 p.m. So he's now in Tuesday, if, if we're assuming, if just mm -hmm. hypothetical, saying it was on Monday that the boy was healed. So he's rushing there, right? He's got no other option. Nothing else can heal his son. He's going to Jesus. Jesus, I need you to come before he dies. This is the only option, right? He's desperate. And Jesus says, go home. Your son will live. So he takes him out of the word. He believes him. He even says, the man believed what Jesus said and started home. Don't say he started home right away. But he's in the next day. So, it's kind of an important fact there that this is now the next day. Because, you know, you could, you could easily say, you know, you can make it home by 7, you could calculate, okay, you know, it took me this long to get here. I could probably get home before, you know, obviously didn't have a watch, but I could get home, you know, right around, you know, when the sun's coming down and make it home. And, you know, maybe the, maybe the last little bit when I'm getting closer, I know I'm almost there, I'll, you know, go a little faster and I'll see my son there. And just in case he isn't actually healed, I'll have some more time. Maybe I'll just run home just in case Jesus' word wasn't enough. And, and I can find another solution, find someone else who can help. But instead, he stays the night in Cana. Find somewhere to sleep. I don't know where. Maybe he stayed with someone who's very hospitable. Maybe he stayed outside. Don't know. But he stayed there. Uh, one second. Let me gather my thoughts here. So, we know, because we know the end of the story, but the, the father doesn't know yet of, he hasn't seen the evidence of the boy being healed. But Jesus healed the boy long distance. The royal official didn't know that yet. And Jesus didn't say, you may go, I'll heal, I'll heal your son long distance. All Jesus said was, your son will live. How the royal official... How would the royal official have understood what Jesus meant? In the same way, you understand a doctor who comes into the waiting room after performing a critical surgery on a loved one. And the doctor could walk in to the waiting room where you're waiting to, to hear the news. And the doctor could lean in and, and say, you can rest easy. The surgery went fine. You know, so-and-so is doing well. You can see him in a couple hours. At that point, you're going to go from this, this constant state of unknown to, oh, the doctor said he's going to be okay. So now you're hearing to, you're, you're claiming to have, you know, the doctor didn't say I performed a miracle, but it's just saying like, hey, like he's going to do okay. So in the same way that you're hearing a report from someone that you believe has the necessary experience and knowledge <coughs> to give you an accurate and authoritative information, this guy... The father, the man who has the boy who's dying, he believes that he just got some accurate and good information from someone who knows what he's talking about, right? Because this man, everyone seems to think Jesus is some type of prophet, some type of healer, some type of something. So if that's the case, all right, well, yeah, I can, I can take this guy's word. You know, he, he has some authority from heaven. He's a prophet. He's something. So... 
It says the man believed what Jesus said. It didn't say the man believed Jesus. The man believed what Jesus said. And started home. I will, if a prophet says my son is going to live, well, then surely my son must live. So, I think I'm in, I'm in good shape. I don't need to worry anymore. Has word from Samaritan spread to Galilee? That just happened right before this. Well, because, like, cause that's what I was wondering, because I was looking for, like, before it was a Samaritan woman. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, like, tells her he's the Messiah. Like, and she's clearly going back to town. It's like, yo, I just met the Messiah. I wonder if, like, that word has already spread, and maybe that had some influence to this mm-hmm. this nobleman saying, people are saying this guy could be the Messiah. And he's, he's doing, some, like, all this, like, these miracles and everything. And I think it's cool, like, because Jesus also isn't, like, selling... Like some weird potion he's pulling out a hat. Mm-hmm. Like he's just speaking these things. And I mean, I know, like, in some, like, when he, like, he healed the blind guy, <laughs> he, like, spit in mud and rubbed it in his hand and put it over his face. And then he said, Open your eyes and you can see. But, like, every, like, almost, like, all his miracles are always pretty much just him saying it. He's not doing, like, a fancy hand trick or mm-hmm. selling him something, or, which I'm assuming maybe back then a lot of healers were trying to gimmick, like, hey, take some snake oil and. You'll hear everything, and but Jesus then he just spoke things. Yeah. I think that's a lot different from other either deities that these people would have been believing in, because there's always so much rituals and got to do this to heal and do that to do this. But Jesus and God Himself is always consistent with just speaking. He doesn't do anything like signs and miracles and wonders. It's just He speaks it, and like every like life is like commanded by Him. Like everything listens to God and His Word. Yeah, and it was just two days prior when that happened with the woman at the well, which is, you know, just that's earlier in the same chapter. And then, you know, where he speaks to the Samaritan woman, and she's like, oh, he must be a prophet, and then he tells her everything that she did, and, and she's like, wait, who are you? And he's like, I'm the Messiah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then she goes and runs off, leaves her water at the well that she came to get, and told everyone in the village, and they all came to see, and they all believed, and then they're like, please stay here. And so he stayed there for two more days, that's why the beginning of what we just read says, at the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. So that was just two days prior where Jesus was at and, you know, the met the woman at the well. But no, that's a good correlation. So we start to see this man's faith start to evolve. But at what point does this man believe in Jesus? To go from believing Jesus' word to believing Jesus. When he saw that his son was okay? When he saw the evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it's right at the very end. And it says, he and, entire ho- uh, and he and his entire household believed in Jesus. That was once he saw, once he realized that that was the exact time that he said it. It's a cool correlation to see from verse 50, where it says, The man believed what Jesus said, to verse 53, he and his entire household believed in Jesus. So there's a big difference there. To go from, I believe what you said, to, I believe you. And that's kind of, that's part, that's part of that, that difference between oh, I believe because I saw this miracle happen with my own eyes, and, oh, I believe 
you. Yeah, it's kind of funny that the, the line from the Santa Claus ends up being just great every single time. What's it's that? Like, um, seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing or whatever. It's a cheesy line from the Santa Claus, but it's so good. In the Samaritan woman, right before the nobleman's, uh, or the nobleman's son, in verse 41 of uh, chapter 4, it says, and many more and many more believed because of his own word. Mm-hmm. There's just another, like his word, it was just, they just believed him because of, Jesus said, he was like, hey, I'm the sign of like, word. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool. Um, you go into John 5 and 10 too? No. Okay. That's when, uh, I just think that's, it's another time, there are a few times when Jesus just says things and they happen, mm-hmm. right? Um, this is the one with the, the um, paralyzed man um, for 38 years, right? Um, and Jesus saw him laying there, and I just think the, the phrasing of this is really interesting, right? He says, uh, he knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Not answering what his question was, right? Like, do you want to be healed? Mm-hmm. He says, I, I can't be. Right? And then Jesus says, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Mm-hmm. So it's just like the, the words again. And that's on the Sabbath, so then they get after him for that. Um, but like that's the kind of mindset, right? It's just the. It just goes to show the faith in the other direction, right? He says, "I don't have the ability to be healed." He's like, "You're thinking of it the wrong way." Um, and then another one is the death of Lazarus, right? Um, when he's talking, and it's uh, it's John eleven thirty eight, says, "Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it." Jesus said take away the stone. And then Martha, the sister of the dead man, says to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so it's again, like, kind of coming back to what he said. He says, so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said on this account of the people, but I said this on the account, on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him, and let, the, let him go. But just the, again, just him saying, like, do this, <laughs> or whatever it is. Another one that comes to mind is like go wash yourself in the in the thing and like just because of him saying it and then some people obey. Um, sometimes it's just the the words themselves or what Jesus says and it's so mm-hmm. and other times. But we're always called to obedience. You know. Yeah. Sorry, that didn't make any sense. No, that, that makes sense. I spoke one time in a long time about productive procrastination as as funny as it sounds, that those two words not going together, um, it was it was speaking of 
uh, I, th- I believe it was on the story of the woman, yeah, who's been bleeding for, you know, many years, and how he was on his way to go heal someone in that moment, but then he stopped what he was doing in that moment. Someone else was waiting on him to come heal him, and he stopped what he was doing in that moment to stop and talk with this lady and said, who touched me, you know, with this crowd of everybody. But on that topic of productive procrastination, I think this man, I think how he went back home is, I think it demonstrates his faith. Mm-hmm. How I, I imagine that this man is, is rushing to Cana with, you know, his last attempt of his son being healed, running, you know, to Capernaum, running from Capernaum to Cana. But then, holding on to what Jesus said, to be able to rest, mm-hmm. stay the night there, and then go the next day. And I see that as, in fear, the nobleman ran from Capernaum to Cana. But then in faith, he walked from Cana back to Capernaum. Kind of running in fear and walking in faith. And I think, you know, we hear that, you know, it's a song, right? Walk by faith, right? There it is. <laughs> I will walk by I faith. Yeah, even when I cannot see you, exactly. So even when you can't see the situation, you can't see the results, you can't see the miraculous signs and wonders, of, I think that might add a whole other level of depth to walk by faith. Because when we're running, we're running, we're running, trying to do everything on our own, trying to solve things. And we're running toward Jesus, but then he says, this will happen, to just walk in peace. To literally, this man literally slowed his pace down and instead of rushing back home to see if it, it's true, he rested in Jesus' word and he walked back home in faith. And his hope rested in Jesus' word. In his word alone. The very words, go back home, your son will live. That was enough for him to believe what Jesus said. I think it's so much greater to believe in Jesus, period. Not if, not when, but whenever. But it wasn't until he, this man saw the miracle, to saw that it actually happened, that he believed in Jesus. To go from believing in his word to believing in Jesus. I think if another man, I think if a prophet, someone who everyone knew was just a prophet, and only a prophet said your son will live, I think he'd probably believe in his word as well. But he wouldn't believe in the prophet. Right? I think there's a, there's a big difference there. I think it's tough to go, I don't know, in some ways it's easy, and in other ways it's tough to go absentee. You know, like, mm-hmm. It's a pretty hard sell to me to believe that, oh yeah, this guy that said, you know, take up your mat and walk. Um, and that worked, and that was a thing, and that was real. Um, also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father is through me. Yeah, he was lying about that second one, but the first one was legit. Like, that doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. to me, you know? And C.S. Lewis does a really good job when talking in mere Christianity about, like, you don't have any options. He's either the son of God, a liar, or he's a lunatic. 
and liar is a pretty tough stretch because you, you typically recant at some point if you're lying and you're crucified on a cross, right? So like, he's either the way, the truth, and the life, or he's a lunatic, and you take your pick. Or Lord. Or Lord. He's either a liar, Lord. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Right. That's what I was going for with the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My Bible night isn't as strong as, isn't complete, but it's like all the other prophets before Jesus, did they ever like speak things into, exist like speak things because like, I'm just thinking about like, like, like Jericho's walls. Like there's all these, like these elaborate like rituals. Like God said we had to do this on this night. And like, even like with the Passover, you have to kill this lamb on this night for a week, not eat linen or any bread of this. And. Then marked the top of the door with red, and but like with Jesus, there's like no elaborate things, and then the Jewish people are always, in, at least in their history, are used to God speaking to them in elaborate things. But then Jesus comes, and I'm, I'm just wondering like where their connection to Jesus is actually a prophet to actually being the Messiah, because to me he seems like completely different than a prophet, because he's not doing anything any other prophet has ever done, where he's literally just speaking or doing like it's nothing there's nothing crazy he doesn't have a staff that he's like you know he's not doing these crazy things a lot of the prophets like but i don't know if there's any other like examples pagan priests were like doing all their performative things to try and mm -hmm. get their god to yeah. set their altar on fire yeah and he was just like oh just pour water on it and god will set it on fire yeah, Elijah. Elijah. I wasn't sure if it's Elijah or Elisha. I always get the two confused too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Elisha was Elijah's project. Yes. Yeah. So, Gary, yeah, I think part of that answer is Matthew five seventeen, where Jesus said, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them." Mm. So, where the prophets are all men who hear from God and then speak what God said to them to the other people. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Word. Mm -hmm. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and was, was with God. Jesus is that Word. He is the message from God. He is God, which is why it's, uh, it sounds repetitive. Mm -hmm. And so he's not just, he's not, Jesus is way more than just a prophet because, you know, he's saying things that a prophet would say, mm -hmm. but he's also. He's essentially the prophecy. He's the one that the prophecies are about. Mm -hmm. So he's not just speaking like a prophet would speak. He's the one fulfilling those things. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the, all these things to come. He's the one fulfilling all these prophecies that were spoken hundreds and thousands of years ago about this and that and the Passover lamb mm -hmm. and sacrifice the Passover lamb and mark your your your, your house with the blood of the, the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb yeah. whose blood was shed and should be overused. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and so he's... The, I don't know where I should stop. Did that answer what, what you were asking? It was not really... It was just asking, like, is there, like, was there any other prophets that yes. are, like... I'm just trying to be in, like, the mindset of the people of that time, like, seeing Jesus and just thinking, like, why some of them are, like, believing just by his word. And then, like, some are saying he's, like, a Satanist or, like, not Satanist, uh... -uh like a wizard or something or someone that's just of the devil and like where's like ever like why is there so much 
Jesus did signs and wonders that no one had ever done before him mm-hmm. or has done since. And that's why I like the word like that. That's where I'm just, I don't know, that wondering. Yeah. But if you want an example of where the word, in this case, wasn't used, was mm-hmm. Moses' fault. Because God said, speak to the rock. Right, so that's mm-hmm. an example where it would have worked. Okay. But there, Moses didn't actually follow the instructions, so the word has power. Is that answer your question? There, there Not really a question, it was just, I was just wondering if... There were plenty of times that a prophet said something and it came to pass. Mm-hmm. The exact way. So like, uh, Elijah or Elisha, whichever one it was, um, when he goes to this lady and then tells her, hey, just pour that oil like a bajillion times, mm-hmm. and then she keeps pouring it out, and it, she pours it into all of her pots and pans, okay. and she's effectively like a millionaire or whatever because, because of that. But <laughs> yeah. he says, like, hey, it's going to last or whatever, and it does. Mm-hmm. Um, or whatever else it may be. There, there are plenty of circumstances like that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where a prophet says something and it, and it comes to pass. But um, nobody ever did anything in the way that Jesus did until then. Mm-hmm. And then he sent his disciples to do the same things. Um, mm-hmm. so. mm-hmm. um, this very last verse that we read, verse 54, this was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Did anyone recall the first? First miracle Jesus performed in Cana? Yeah. The first miracle he performed? First miracle he performed. Water into wine? That's what what I was like. It was at the wedding in Galilee. So that one, that first sign, persuaded his disciples. It was at that moment that a lot of them were really, it kind of clicked for them like, oh, he's the Messiah. (laughs) Oh, he's God. Right? This is the second sign. This one persuaded the, the nobleman and his whole household. The Samaritans believed without a sign, right? That's what we were just talking mm-hmm. about, the Samaritan woman at the well. And right before here, in the beginning of chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, the Samaritans believed without a sign. And then a lot of Samaritans from that whole village believed them. And John, he's speaking about, you know, the author of John here. Um, the first two signs in the Gospel of John both take place at in Cana of Galilee. And the first one being at the wedding. This one, you know, it's an interesting contrast. The first one was at a celebration, a wedding, and then the next one is someone dying. But the in, in both aspects, Jesus does a miraculous sign. Mm-hmm. And people come to believe. People came to believe through his signs and wonders. And he even speaks about um, thinking the Beatitudes, I might be wrong, about blessed are those who believe without seeing. You know, how much more blessed are you for those who believe without, whose faith is without the works, the, the miracles. And maybe that's for... I don't recall exactly now where, but I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, any final thoughts, comments, questions? Is this man a, the nobleman? Is he a Gentile? Mm-hmm. Okay. And was the people in the wedding in Galilee, were those also Gentiles? Yeah. They were Jews. So they were Jews, okay. Yeah. 
questions, comments? To me, my, I mean, I, rereading this and, and seeing this, like, to me, the coolest thing was just the, like, that one word, yesterday, is what really stood out to me, which is why I kind of focus on that so much, of the fact that, I mean, I, I just imagine, like, myself in that situation, like, going to Jesus as a last, you know, should be our first resort, but, like, there, you know, that was his resort to Jesus, the, you know, they couldn't pray through the Holy Spirit, like, you know, that wasn't a thing for them yet, so going to Jesus as, like, there is no other option but this guy, Jesus, running toward him, and then his word, not even many words, you know, in English, go back home, your son will live, maybe it was even less than, you know, that in Hebrew, but those very few words was enough for him to rest and slow down and be able to go from running in fear to walking in faith. Mm -hmm. To me, that was that was my biggest takeaway here, um, and to see, I guess, if anybody wants to share, you can, but you don't have to, because it might be you know personal. But like, or to just reflect on where are we running in fear currently? Where are we? You know, just rushing, trying to, you know, figure things out on our own, what we can do, to where we need to just rest and walk, walk in faith, to take that and let it be enough. Let Jesus' word be enough for us to, to believe in what he said, to believe in him. John 10, 10. Most of you all you know, probably know this one pretty well. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give life and a life abundantly. Give life, and life abundantly. And the whole the whole point of, of this today is Jesus speaking life, right? We start off in Genesis one one, looking at the very word, the very breath off of his tongue is enough to create life. The very, you know, Jesus didn't have to go and say, you know, give me this, give me that, right? He didn't need a magic potion. He didn't have to snap his finger or you know wiggle his arm or do any like magical dance or you know any you know nothing. Just go home. Your son will live. Done. He's now instantly, in that moment, his very breath was enough to heal the boy who was about to die. I could just imagine, I mean, I, could, I just try to picture in my head, like, playing it out like a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you see, like, both, both sides at the same time, split screen. You see the people, you know, looking over the servants and the mother, like, looking over the, the son, and, and then... The father there, like, down on his hands and knees, begging Jesus, please come back with me. And, and he says, go home. Your son will live. And then on this side of the screen, the boy just opens up his eyes mm -hmm. and as well and sits up. And it's like, I'm hungry. And, like, you know, it's just, it's just right. And he's just, nothing, it's like nothing ever happened. And then on the other side of the screen, you have the guy just kind of, like, still crying, like, wiping the tears off his face, just kind of like, all right, if you said it, that's enough for me. And I just, like, simultaneously, like, 
as the words came out of his mouth, it's done. It is finished. Mm-hmm. And that's what he talks about here in John 10.10. 10. Thief's purpose to kill, steal, and destroy. My purpose to give them a rich and satisfying life. Mm-hmm. Life and life abundantly. That's all I got for us for today. Yeah, we'll, we'll continue going to some more uh, healing stories and looking at, you know, how Jesus healed. And, you know, we might go into some of those other examples that we talked about. Um, but, yeah, because, you know, in pretty much every situation we see just, you know, it's not about the rubbing the, the mud in your eye. It's not about walking into the water. It's just about obeying obeying him like if this man would have you know just continued no but god I, I, jesus i need you to come like how do i know that he's healed unless you come like you know it may have been a different story right. yeah. cool i know christ and uh we'll split for a little bit god thank you for this evening thank you for your word thank you that that your word holds power that your word is enough to create life and is enough to heal and it's enough to do anything that it says to do. That you can just speak life and it exists. That you can just speak healing and it's done. That you can just speak anything to it into existence because you're just that powerful. We can't even fathom how words just create something. It, it doesn't even make sense to us and, and we may never to be able to comprehend that. And just all the more reason for us to worship you that, that we can't ever fully comprehend or understand how powerful you are. Uh, help us just come to that, to that realizing of, of how great you are and, and how much you love us. The fact that you even created us and, and you knew that we'd rebel and disobey you and not listen to you, but yet you still chose to love us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for the example that we see here from Jesus. Help us to be able to, to speak life into people and be able to, to speak life into their situations and to be able to have you along with us as we're praying for others and as we're healing others because we can do this exact same thing. You said it and we'll believe it, that we can do the same things and even greater than what Jesus did. So help us to believe that and to really believe it, not just a belief that, you know, sounds cool, but Lord, help us to to believe and act on that, to have the boldness to pray for people, to pray for the dead to rise, to pray for the sick to be healed, to pray for the blind to see. Help us to have such bold faith that we are actually standing up and praying for these things and not just standing back and saying that we can't do it. But help us to to walk in faith and to know that with you by our side that anything is possible. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time when God's presence is with us. I hope you enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.